KPFB, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover with Jennifer Stone, Stone's Throw. Stay with us. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. Yes, drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today's Tuesday, August 12th, 2008. I panicked this morning. I was listening to the morning show here on KPFA. Sword-rattling warmongers. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Is it possible that George W. Bush does not want to go quietly? Is that not part of his plan? I think he wants to go out with a bang. Less than three months to go before he's back in Texas. Anyway, he's moved the hmm, the Navy, the naval fleet into place in the Persian Gulf. Oh, oh God. Uh, it's just terrifying. Iran has refused to do what it's told. Uh, oh, where's Congress? Where's the Democrats? I guess we're supposed to live in terror moment by moment, day after day. Is there no end, no end to this conflict? Nope, none whatsoever. That's the way it's been, more or less, for the last eight. Well, no, 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 for thousands of years. I wonder, is it naive to imagine there might be somewhere in the world leaders who can see beyond themselves? Uh, we know it takes a huge ego persona to get power, gain power, to become top dog. And people like that, you know, they aren't always able to set aside self, ego, all that megalo macho baggage. Uh, <laughs> manhood, right? Barack Obama exudes some of the transcendence that Eastern wisdom tells us we need, uh, you know, that Buddha nature stuff, um, the kind of personality that makes it possible to live in the world in, you know, in the midst of all this pain and violence and injustice and still remain in control and work for a future that one may never see, uh, yes, the harvest of which shall be not yet. Anyway, you know how it is. You have to resist the taunts of the other men and women and uh, act without fear. Oh, my God, that's Kipling. Oh, that's my, my favorite eighth grade poem I memorized. It's the poem, If, yes, if you can do all the difficult things and if you can keep your head 
when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, yes. And then you'll be a man, my son. It's been my experience that if that's the test of manhood, (laughs) it's probably women who come out ahead. They can keep calm, you know. Uh, Michelle Obama is certainly as awake as her good husband, as far as I can see. His special quality is this uh, calm he exudes, this serenity and patience. He's not an angry man, you know. That's weird. Uh, Not yet, anyway. Back in 1990, Barack Obama told the Boston Globe, this is a quote, To some extent... I'm a stand-in for a lot of changes that have been made. I think he's got it. Mm -hmm. Now, in the New Yorker, it says that that remark is ostentatious. I think it's right on target. He is an example or sample, or he represents uh, fait accompli, stuff that's already happened. Besides, uh, what it means, well, he knows who he is. He can see himself in the historical context of his time. Uh, You know, we look around and all the other male leaders of the world, they can't get past themselves. They're still struggling for mastery. Yes, manhood, manhood. It's all about how they feel, whether they win. John McCain is fairly representative. They say that he... uh, is a testy fellow that his temper flares up. He loses it from time to time. He does have a veneer of humor. Uh, McCain is more likable than some of those uh, neocons he runs with, but I see a wolf in sheep's clothing. Those war wounds are permanent uh, and they are fatal. Can't get beyond that sort of thing. You're never the same. Anyway, McCain is heroic in his own eyes, in his own perception of himself. You show me a hero and I'll write you a tragedy. That's F. Scott Fitzgerald, I think. Fatal primate grandiosity. Uh, Takes so many forms, that drama queen stuff, you know. Whether you're the president of Georgia or the prime minister of Russia or even that big man in Bolivia, if you're a prisoner of your superego, you can't be objective. Even Bill Clinton can't be objective, maybe least of all. We shall see when the Democratic Convention begins. I'm dying to see how Bill is going to pull it off Uh Oh, well, if only we could just put all these people in Zen monasteries when they're children. (laughs) Yes, raise them up right. Yes, we all know, yes, that monks are just the right people to run governments anyway. Yeah, actually, the Dalai Lama would do, or your mother, or her mother. Anyway, someone who knows the same things your grandmother knows. The ancients, the... uh, uh, the old, old elders, the people uh, before, before history, they knew enough. They consulted the old women, the crones. They still do in the best places. Uh, 
Jimmy Carter said he used to go talk to his mom there after she uh, had died. Uh, wise elders, the people without something to lose, without the chip on the shoulder. Uh, Barack Obama is very sophisticated uh, for such a young man. He seems older to me. Um, I think he confuses Americans, many Americans, because he's not on the TV. He's not a familiar stereotype. He's what uh, some people, people like Russell Banks, I think, he's sort of a Creole creation. Many of our writers and thinkers promised us that we would have individuals like Barack Obama, uh, you know, multicultural or, if you want to say, multiracial, if you're still one of those who designates race. Uh, Toni Morrison says that biological race is uh, no longer real. I, that is, it's just uh, a metaphor. Anyway, he's a cosmopolitan guy. Uh, <laughs> a man of many nations. Raised in Hawaii, Indonesia. He has that grandmother in Kenya. Uh, I guess, I think that Americans, um, the ones who've been educated almost entirely by television, I think they would probably uh, uh, identify him as either European or, uh, anyway, some kind of international type, you know, a journalist. Uh, <laughs> He's 47 last week. That was his birthday. Uh, he's the generation of my children. So they're 46 and 48, right. Uh, the Clintons were halfway back to my children for me. Is just stuck right between the generations. Bill and Hillary were different. And then we found out they were not so different. Uh, the Obamas... Barack and Michelle have transcended much of that baggage that burdened uh, so many of us, you know, back in the 20th century. Of course, they're going to have their own baggage sooner or later, but it's a relief not to hassle with the old paradigms. We get some new paradigms. Uh, you know, Michelle Obama, she doesn't have to disclaim that feminine mystique. Uh, obviously, it would never occur to her to be defensive about uh, not staying at home to bake the cookies or standing by her man. I remember how I winced when Hillary Rodham Clinton said she wasn't just some little woman like Loretta Lynn, someone who had to stand by her man. Curious fact is, she did. And I'm sure... She's probably glad of it. It's interesting. Uh, I want to read you something from the um, July 21st New Yorker uh, about Barack Obama. It's an exhaustive article. tells us more than we need to know about his life in Chicago politics. Uh, it's by Ryan Liz, Liza. Liza, L-I-Z. Z-Z-A. The article is titled, Making It or How Chicago Shaped Obama. and spells out all the ways in which Barack Obama is uh, 
hard worker, steady worker, grassroots politician, all the good stuff. What I liked was that uh, uh, it gives you a clear picture of who this man is, or at least who he might be. Best is the description, well, he he um, he had some newspaper columns, but I want to start with a piece that he wrote right after 9-11. Uh, it was published on September the 19th, 2001. You know, uh, let's see, that's eight days after the Twin Towers uh, was in the Hyde Park Herald. And Barack Obama wrote, even as I hope for some measure of peace and comfort to the bereaved families, I must also hope that we as a nation draw some measure of wisdom from this tragedy. Certain immediate lessons are clear and we must act upon those lessons decisively. We need to step up security at our airports. We must re-examine the effectiveness of our intelligence networks. And we must be resolute in identifying the perpetrators of these heinous acts and dismantling their organizations of destruction. We must also engage, however, in the more difficult task of understanding the sources of such madness. The essence of this tragedy, it seems to me, derives from a fundamental absence of empathy on the part of the attackers, an inability to imagine or connect with the humanity and suffering of others. Such a failure of empathy such numbness to the pain of a child or the desperation of a parent is not innate. Nor, history tells us, is it unique to a particular culture, religion, or ethnicity. It may find expression in a particular brand of violence and may be channeled by particular demagogues or fanatics. More often, though, it grows out of a climate of poverty and ignorance, helplessness and despair. We will have to make sure, despite our rage, that any U.S. military action takes into account the lives of innocent civilians abroad. We will have to make sure, despite, yes, despite our rage, yes, uh, Let's see, the unwavering, yes, our unwavering commitment to oppose bigotry or discrimination. This must be um, in our minds. Yes, he's talking about uh, the friends of Middle Eastern descent. He said, our friends and neighbors of Middle Eastern descent uh they may come to harm, and he ends by saying, finally, we will have to devote far more attention to the monumental task of raising the hopes and prospects of embittered children across the globe. Children not just in the Middle East, but also in Africa, Asia, Latin America, Eastern Europe, 
and within our own shores. Okay, now that's a week after 9-11. He already understood that, uh, you know, we could lose the moral high ground if we overreacted. And uh, damned if we didn't. Yes, damned if we didn't. Uh, It's so interesting. Uh, He goes on to say that people are hungry for community. They miss community and they're hungry for change. Oh, this is earlier. This is when he's uh, just getting started here in Chicago, right? And he writes, what if a politician were to see his job as that of an organizer, a teacher, part advocate, someone who does not sell voters short, but who educates them? tells them about the real choices before them. As an elected public official, I could bring church and community leaders together easier than I could as a community lawyer. He goes on to say uh, the right things about creating bridges and bonds and all that good stuff. (laughs) There's also a lot of funny stuff in this article about Obama. Apparently, he had trouble right from the beginning with his black colleagues in Chicago. One time, back in 1997, he introduced a piece of legislation, one of his first pieces of uh, legislation. It was a modest bill. He wanted to make a directory of community college graduates and make it available to local employers. Sounds right to me. There was a response from a state senator from the west side of Chicago name of Ricky Hendon. Okay. Uh, Hendon rose to ask a question and the following exchange occurred. Ricky Hendon said, Senator, could you correctly pronounce your name for me? I'm having a little trouble with it. Barack says, Obama. Hendon says, is that Irish? Obama answers, it will be when I run countrywide. <laughs> anyway, Hendon goes on to say that uh, that's a good joke, but the bill's going to die. And then he says, this directory, hey, would this have those 1-800-SEX-LINE numbers in it? Obama says, no, no, basically this idea comes out of the south side community colleges. I don't know what you're doing on the west side with the community colleges, but we probably won't be including that in our directory for the students. Hendon answers and he says, let me just say this. He says, "Uh, I seem to remember... A very lovely senator by the name of Alice Palmer. Much easier to pronounce than Obama. And she always had cookies and nice things to say. And you don't have anything to give us around your desk. How do you expect to get votes? And you don't even wear nice perfume like Senator Palmer did. I'm missing Senator Palmer because of these weak replacements with these tired bills that make absolutely no sense. I definitely urge a no vote, whatever your name is. (laughs) Finally, 
There's one more thing in this article I want to tell you about, which is the thing that I cared about, which was the death of the um, welfare, the well, I call it the welfare deform bill. Senator Clinton called it the uh, welfare reform bill, and Daniel Patrick Moynihan said that he saw Bill Clinton's soul rise and leave his body when it passed. Uh, actually, Moynihan, Daniel Patrick Moynihan said after the bill uh, came to the floor, he said, for the first time since it was enacted in 1935, we are about to repeal a core provision of the Social Security Act. <laughs> the end of the quote from him. I remember my mother used to say that yeah, Social Security Act was the one that said, we will not let you starve. Okay, they've decided that they will. Now, I wonder, I I, um, I see that Obama, well, it says here in the article that uh, judging by his public comments, Obama seemed both appalled and impressed by Bill Clinton's political skill. Anyway, he... Uh, Obama was writing a regular column uh, for the Hyde Park Herald. And um, after the welfare deform bill, he wrote, quote, Last year, President Clinton signed a bill that for the first time in 60 years eliminates the federal guarantee of support for poor families and their children. The end of his quote. Now, his columns were earnest and wonky. They betrayed no hint of liberal piety about this new law. It emphasized that there just weren't enough entry level jobs in Chicago, not enough to absorb all the welfare recipients who would soon be leaving the system. In effect, while Clinton and the National Democratic Party were drifting to the right, State Senator Obama pushed in the opposite direction. Now, this guy is smart, incredibly smart. Um, he goes on about making lemonade out of this lemon and so forth. Uh, he said, uh, he said that the law's most punitive aspect was that it cut off aid to poor legal immigrants. That was a provision that even Bill Clinton in his memoir of 2004 called particularly harsh and unjustifiable. Okay, now Obama helped pass laws in Illinois that restored benefits to that particular group. And the article goes on to mention all the small ways in which Obama resisted the national right word, right word trend of the mid-90s. You remember back in 94, there was a little coup there, uh, Newt Gingrich was in charge of that. Uh, anyway, it looks to me like this guy is too good to be true. I've thought about it and thought about it, and I don't see how we could do any better. I don't know whether or not uh, uh, there is any way in which the President of the United States can be a good guy. There was someone who wrote once, yes, uh, uh, a great man cannot be a good man. <laughs> it's a hard one. Anyway, uh, 
If Barack Obama survived Chicago politics, it seems to me that he could probably survive Washington. Uh, I don't think that he is uh, a drama queen, and he's certainly not as romantic as most of the enthusiasts are painting him. I think he's just authentic, just the real thing. There's nothing really radical about him except his sanity and his humanity. Uh, and today I want to ask my engineer, yes, I've been chatting it up here so much with my engineer, Veronica, and I wanted to ask her, ask her to go get an article about Michelle. Veronica. Yes, here. Yes, yes, there you are, dear. Veronica, I must spell your last name for listeners because no, I got a no, request. No, 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 please don't. I, you know. Really not? Really not, really not. Don't spell it. Just say it the best you can, Jennifer. Oh, oh, Veronica Faison. That's right. I trust you. Yes, Thank you. okay. I was going to say, because somebody might want to write you a letter. Well, they could just say Veronica F. Oh, oh, I was going to say, I, in case you don't want your name out there. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Never mind. I asked you to look up, there was something by, um, t- about, well, Tyra Banks was uh, chatting it up. She's one of the people in the chattering classes. And she talked about what it would be like to be first lady. And she wanted to, yeah, tell, tell what she said about Michelle. Well, uh, first of all, I just want people to know this is an article that's in the current Harper's Bazaar magazine. And what it is, uh, it's around a um, series of photos that Tyra did in which she dr- dressed up um, as though she were Michelle, you know, very spiffed, polished model <laughs> type Michelle. And she had an actor who was, of course, Barack. And from a distance in the photograph, he actually kind of looks like George Bush to me. It's very interesting. Yeah. So they had a set that looked like the Oval Office. So Michelle um, apparently had uh, a meeting with um well, Tyra and Michelle met, and she was just very impressed by her. She said Tyra was impressed by Michelle. She said that she had good eye contact, um, that she is not a ha-ha-ha type, if you know what that means. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, Tyra loves the fact that she's tall. So I think that's a pretty good assessment coming from someone like Tyra. You know, she's stunning. She looks like she's running um, uh, Radcliffe or some huge woman's college, Michelle. She's just, oh, boy. You know, she enters, as they say, she enters in a body. She's six feet feet tall. Uh, No, it's what's the the line we're always saying? uh, Who would play you in the movie? Who, Who would play Michelle when the movie comes out? That's a good question. Who would well, play Barack? Well, I think the movie would, it, she would have been played by a younger Maya Angelou, don't you think? Mm, younger. Maya. Let's see. Oh, you know, okay. Uh, That's Angela, a maybe. Angela Bassett. I would give it to Alfre Woodard. Oh, you would? Okay. But for uh, other reasons. It's not so much the resemblance, it's just that Alfre's got something that I. I remember the first time I saw Alfre Woodard in. Entosaki Shange's play for colored girls who have considered uh, suicide. suicide when the rainbow is enough. And I remember uh, she had a speech about the guy who just walked off with all of my stuff. Yes. And I have never forgotten it. It changed my life. It was just a stunner, you know. Well, she's a know. southern woman, you know. Yes. Yes, southern women always have something extra. Yes. And I just want to say before we close here... Um, because our time's almost up, that 
what you were saying about um, Barack, the sum total to me is he's solution-oriented. He has a solution-oriented consciousness, right. and this is from Reverend Mwata, religious science minister, mm-hmm. close friend of mine. So I think that sums it up, and I think yeah. he's uh, asking America to rise to the occasion. I really appreciate that. Yeah, they call them problem solvers. It's yes. weird, you know. Uh, I was thinking the other day, I was, Cecily Tyson gets to play his grandmother. I'm going to have the whole cast here by next week, and... Uh, who who plays um, Barack? Denzel Washington asked if he could do it, but I think uh, he's 47. Huh. He's 47. No, Will Smith wrote something in one of those little um, movie magazines about how he would do Barack. Uh, and I guess he's, gosh, he must be 40 by now, Will Smith. I think he is, close yeah. to it, if not. Yeah, no, it's, what is it? It's uh, It's wonderful the way we... Move these people around like puppets or something. You know? <laughs> well, next week we'll have to decide who the children will be. Oh dear! Oh no, no, no! We're not allowed to mem- remember what uh, Hillary said about Chelsea. You know, we're supposed to leave the children alone. Those those two little girls. I mean, if they can't win this election, nobody can. Yeah, it's they're adorable. Never mind. I meant to mention. Uh, Barack Obama's books are Dreams from My Father and The Audacity of Hope. Maybe we can get those um, for gifts when we have the next fundraiser. Why not? I'll talk to you next time, Veronica. This has been Jennifer Stone. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. From the ones who walk in light, light them up, boys. There's your picture.